With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. I'm Greg Rogen with the Houston Chronicle. Joined today by a very special guest, Chronicle University of Houston beat writer Joseph Duarte, the man we call the czar of Cullen Boulevard. We'll talk about UH's recently completed NCAA tournament run and some other basketball topics. Uh, Joseph, how are you today? Well, Greg, when you're behind McLean in the line, I'm, I've been like 50 spots behind, so I feel like I just got my ticket ticket at the DMV called to, to be on the podcast. It's been a while. You know, you can make appointments at the DMV now. You don't have to wait in line, so just letting you know. I'll make an appointment for the next podcast. You've been a busy man of late. I mean, you've spent the weekends in Fort Worth, then Pittsburgh, then San Antonio with the UH basketball team. Their season ended Saturday, a 50-44 to loss to Villanova in the Elite Eight. If you're a Cougar fan, kind of a tough game to watch. The offensive struggles. I thought they played. I thought they played well enough defensively to win. They just they couldn't buy a basket when they needed it. I got to ask you: the modern era of basketball. It, to me, it seems like impossible for a team to shoot one for twenty from three point range in any game. You know, much less an Elite Eight game. Can you recall them ever having a shooting night like this? All your time covering the team, this group of players. In ten years, no. Uh, I, I can't, and you're, you're right. You know that's that's tough to do. Uh, you know, maybe we jinxed it. We talked about the basketballs leading into that game, uh, but they shot well in some of the other games. So it wasn't the ball, it wasn't the rim. Uh, you know, they just had a a really bad night at a really bad time. And like you said, if you score, if you allow fifty points, you should win most games. If you're if you're Houston, you're allowing twenty nine percent or lower shooting wise, which Villanova did, you should win. You controlled the boards, you should win. But you can't win if you shoot like that. So uh, they're big guns, the guys that normally would, would score, Kyler Edwards, Fabian White. Uh, everybody just picked up a really bad night to, to sort of go in the deep freeze. I was thinking, if you have that game at the Final Four, I kind of get it because you're playing in a dome and you're not used to the shooting angles and stuff like that. But they had won at the AT&T Center on Thursday. They shot okay from three. They made some big threes. So I, I really didn't see that anything like that as a possibility. Was this a game where they finally really felt the absence of Marcus Sasser and Tremont Mark when you kind of needed a guy, a shooter, to make a shot to get you back in the game? Yes and no. They, I mean, they, they've been two and a half months without those two guys. Uh, but in the big moment, yes. Uh, you know, last year when they were losing to Rutgers, they got those big shots. Oregon State, they got the big shots, whether it was a Quentin Grimes or a Marcus Sasser. But, you know, you could just see their faces. I mean, the frustration. Really, some of it was shock when little – the floaters that they would make or the or the layups or, the you know, the right there, the within 15, you know, feet. Of those shots they made consistently throughout the year. Now, they weren't a great shooting team, but they were never a really bad shooting team. And, you know, you waited for one of those big runs that we wrote about 
about how they could just kind of go off on these 10-0, 11-0 runs. You know, they had a 6-0 run, and that was it. So that was the offense. And, you know, there was no explanation other than, you know, they had a bad night. So it is strange that, that it happened in that situation because right now Houston should be preparing uh, for Kansas in, in the Final Four. And instead, uh, this one's going to – they're going to look at this one for a long time. Uh, you know, it's different to get beat by Jordan Poole in the with the buzzer beater in, in the uh, in the second round or to lose to Kentucky in the Sweet 16. Uh, this one, this one, they thought that they could have and should have had. That's a good point. You know, we talked about how well they played defensively, allowing 50 points. But it, it seemed to me that they just couldn't get that big stop when they needed it. Like, I think it was Jamal Shedd that drew them within two points with about five minutes and change left. And then Villanova... Out of a timeout, they got a big basket from Gillespie, and then UH didn't score a field goal for what was it like four minutes after that? It just seemed like, as well as they played defensively, like when you needed them to bear down, when they seemed to have the momentum, they just couldn't get that stop. Right, and you know Gillespie hadn't hit a field goal the entire game until that bucket, and and you're right, it was just a matter of if if they can turn it around and come back on the other end and score. Maybe they, they get some momentum. You know, the, the, the calls weren't going their way. And plus, you know, I don't know if I want Houston at the free throw line the way they, they shoot. But, you know, Villanova, they were described as cyborgs. They're very technically sound. They went 15 of 15 from the free throw. They just, they did everything they needed to do right. And they got a little help with the way Houston shot. And, and that's all it took. So, you know, it's it's hard to, you know, as Kelvin Sampson put it, he's like, look, I'm disappointed we lost, but I'm not disappointed in anything else. Everything else was there. And he's always telling us, look, these guys are human. They can have off nights. It was, again, just the worst possible time. But it doesn't take away from a season that no one, absolutely no one thought that they would get to the Elite Eight, especially myself, including myself, because of what they lost. But to, to win 32 to get this far and knowing what you potentially have coming back, um, you know, they, they're building something that the, the, the continuation is, is there. Let's talk about more, more of the big picture. Is the consensus that this year was Kelvin Sampson's best coaching job of his career? Now, you know, obviously I wasn't around for, for way back in Montana tech and in, in Butte, Montana, but, uh, or Washington state, you know, those two were, were obviously different because they hadn't experienced success. Now he gets to Oklahoma. It's a football school. He has success there. We get to Indiana. We won't talk about that. Uh, but overall, I, you know, I would have to say in 32 years, it's got to be up there. And if it's not the best, it's it's probably one of his best because of, of what they had to do. And, and when, when, I, when I say that, it's not just losing two guys. They had to sort of reinvent things. They had to tinker, as he put it, uh, with with the way they did things, they, they used to be a or they were a guard uh, oriented, you know, system. He went more inside out, and and that's just something we hadn't seen Kelvin Sampton have to do in his previous seven years here. So, from a coaching standpoint, he said he had learned a lot from these guys, uh, more so than what they learned from him. Uh, but I, I think this was this was a an interesting year for him to 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 show that. He is a Hall of Fame coach. He is one of the best coaches in the country simply because you most teams don't lose what they did and still have the ability to make a run where you're one win or really, you know, five minutes or so away 
from from getting to the final four. How unfair is it to the to the group here and what Samson has built to say that this year's team massively overachieved? Because they still, I mean, I know they lost four starters from a final four team, and you lose two key cogs in Tremont Mark and Marcus Sasser, but I don't know. They were they were pretty damn good from January on after the injuries. They were supposed to be really, really good before December with, with the injury before the injuries happened and they were final four contenders, that kind of stuff. And then sort of uh, when December 22nd, 23rd rolled around and they lost uh, Tremont Mark first and then Marcus Sasser, the bottom kind of dropped out as far as what people thought of them nationally. You saw it reflected in the polls, but then they went on this, it was a 12 game winning streak and you started to think, okay, maybe there's something there. There's, there's plenty left in the tank. And then you have the two back-to-back losses, which they hadn't had happen in five years uh, with SMU and Memphis and then they win. They went out from that standpoint it, until they got to uh, the end of the season with with Memphis. And then, okay, there's two losses to Memphis there. And then you're wondering, okay, are, are they going to get a, a an even lower seat? And then they go and beat Memphis in the conference tournament. So, yeah, you're right. All these things that would suggest that you know they massively overachieved. You know, I, I don't think that's fair. I, I think they surprised us. But the talent between having a Fabian White, having a, a Tajay Moore really step up, and, and Josh Carlton especially, and then having some consistency f- with Kyler Edwards and what he brought, uh, especially from from deep, and then the mature maturation of, of Jamal Shedd, you know, they, they there were pieces in place. This this is a team that was good enough to get to New Orleans, and 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 certainly could have. So yeah, I, I think you have a good point there about what what we see as an underachieving season and, and what, you know, what they did rightfully so. You know, you made an interesting point about the polls and something I noticed from watching games this year on TV, the respect from broadcasters calling the games was off the charts for what Kelvin Sampson has done for how UH plays. And then I, you would do a poll breakdown every week and we would see where some people would rank these guys. And there was one week where they didn't lose a game and they one guy just dropped him out of the polls entirely. How do you how do you chalk up that disparity in the respect that they would get from certain media versus like the poll voters? Are is that like reflective of the respect the American Athletic Conference gets, or is this just guys looking at scores? Or well, unless you're in Honolulu or Kansas City, I think those were the two biggest demographics of of U of H. Uh, on board or on the bandwagon, but you know, polls are polls, Greg. I mean, it's the human element. Uh, I wish I could say Houston was on the West coast and nobody was watching them. You know, they're on TV every game. You know, it's, 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 it's just, it's hard to explain. I mean, I, I've been a poll, uh, a voter in, in the football poll before I've, I've never done basketball. Uh, you know, there's more games involved, but you know, I, I, I think it would, you know, I don't want to call out people and say, look, you're just not watching the games and you're just coming up with the poll out of thin air. But you can tell that, you know, I asked one person, I said, do you feel like there's potentially some some bias against Houston because of Kelvin Sampson? And uh, a former coach told me he thought that was the case. He thought that some people just don't like Kelvin Sampson for how things played out at Indiana or Oklahoma. And and that's sort of the the, the what they hold like a grudge. Which I don't, I don't know what 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 that affects them, uh, but overall, I mean, polls are polls, and other than for entertainment, 
Uh, I would hope that the selection committee goes more with the net and stuff like that, which all those metrics loved Houston all year. So, but you know, they never dropped below, I believe it was maybe 17 in, in a final type poll. You know, they had voters that had them unranked, but they were usually in that 17 range for towards the end of the season. So it, it all, I guess, evened out in the end. That's very true. You know, last year they lost Quentin Grimes. He was an AAC player of the year. Are there any players on this tier's team that you think might leave early for the NBA draft? No. You know, Marcus Sasser is sort of a wild card. If I was a betting guy, I, w- I would say that Marcus Sasser's coming back, and, and it would make absolutely no sense for him to leave coming off the injury. You know, there was a lot of talk about whether he would even try to play in this NCAA tournament, uh, but with that type of injury, there there was no chance. Uh, but he would be the, the only guy that's – eligible to leave with, with, with eligibility remaining. Uh, otherwise, you know, you have, uh, you have um, Josh Carlton, Kyler Edwards, Tajay Moore, uh, Fabian White. Those guys are all out of eligibility. You get Reggie Chaney back. So I, I see this team as is staying intact. And then you add some really big pieces uh, through recruiting uh, the signing class coming in. And then you also, you have that, that transfer portal, which I wouldn't be surprised if, before they left San Antonio, Kelvin Sampson was already working on adding uh, potentially a, another guard or another front court player. You know, you mentioned the transfer portal in college basketball and college football. That's really the X factor these days. How attractive a destination has UH made itself these these past few years with these tournament runs? Oh, it's it's one of the places now. You know, you 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 know they're not blue blood. You know, you, when that 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 term that's used. But but they are contenders, and I, and maybe maybe that's even a better word to use for them than wanting to be a blue blood. I mean, right now they are in the national discussion. They are among the you know dozen or or less actually teams that that have a chance every year to to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament to get to the final four. The facilities are great, uh, the coaching staff. So this is a place that players want to play. And and Kelvin Sampson actually told us that they had a. Quite a number of guys. He wouldn't name them, but he said some people that would really sort of take you aback to come to this program. That they that it just wasn't the right fit. So they have the luxury of being selective on who they want. That's how they got Tyler Edwards. You know, they they knew him. They had a relationship with him. They had seen a Josh Carlton from his days at UConn. Uh, there was a connection with Tajay Moore's coach at Cal State Bakersfield, and even with Quentin Grimes. Not only was he coming home, but Bill Selt and and Kelvin Sampson are, are good friends, and they they talked over if this would be a good move for him. It was you know Kansas didn't stop in the way of of a move like this. So you know there's a lot of factors that go into play, but this is a, a really good place for transfers. Uh, but Houston has the the ability to be very selective on on who they take. Obviously, UH has maybe another year, at least another year left in the American Athletic. How are they transitioning themselves to Big Twelve play? You know, because they're going to be they're going to be stepping up in weight class in a couple years when they make it to the Big Twelve. Right, and, it, and it's a, probably a little bit different for for football. Uh, you know, Dana Hogerson's admitted that hey, we got to go out and get bigger, faster, stronger. You know, got to get those guys on the O line. You know, that kind of stuff for basketball. You know, Kelvin's been in the Big 12. He he knows what's in store. Uh, you know, that would they like to add maybe some size? Well, they've been trying to do that for forever. I mean, I can't remember the last time, you know, Houston had a true 
dominant big man. You know, you talk about guys that come in and it, and it's not just being seven foot tall, but just a guy that controls the middle. And, you know, they went out and, and in this signing class, they got Jairus Walker and he was in the top 10 nationally uh, for any position. I mean, he was part of that ESPN 100. He's the type of guy that uh, biggest, you know, modern era signing for them. I think that's where it starts. I think guys like that, that you can come in and add, who are impact freshmen from day one. And once you see that happen, I think the dominoes start to to fall for future guys. You know, they're bringing in Terrence Arsenal from Beaumont United, a two-time state champion. He's going to fit in nicely and, and probably from day one. You know, they had Emmanuel Sharp, who's from Florida. He sat redshirting this year, but he was with the team during this this tournament run. And, you know, those are guys that, that those are Kelvin Sampson players. So maybe it's not so much size and height and length and all that stuff. He want he wants guys that fit his system. And if you fit his system, the development part will take over and he'll make his team fit the Big 12. Or he'll and in fact, he'll make the Big 12 fit his team because he'll go in there, you know, regardless of what conference. They play big teams anyway in non-conference and so far they've done pretty well against them. You know, this sounded incomprehensible a few years ago, but this year will be the first time a Texas school hasn't played in the national championship game since 2018. So has UH established himself as the best basketball program in Texas? Um, you know, Texas, Texas Tech hasn't skipped a beat yet. And, and really, I don't know what to think of, of what's going on in Austin. You know, sometimes you, you think that they're about to turn the corner and Texas is back and then maybe they're not so much back. Uh, yeah. And then you got Baylor. And I, I know that was a shock. You know, they're one of the two, Greg. I, you know, I don't think that they're quite there yet. I, I want to see how things play out, you know, maybe over a, another season. Cause you know, we could, we could be in a similar situation next year. And, and if Houston's in a final four, then, then yeah, I mean, they may, you know, if they don't win it, you know, I don't know if it, if it matters, but you know, you've, you got two pretty good teams in Waco and, and Lubbock. So, uh, they certainly are in the upper tier of, of Texas schools and, and really, you know, beyond. So, um, you know, let's let's hold off anointing them, but I, but I think that they are they you know they're certainly uh, where they're at. This is a, a big difference from from the last twenty plus years when when no one was talking about Houston or no one was having podcasts about them. Let's close this podcast with uh, Joseph Duarte's crystal ball, looking at the final four. So uh, give me your predictions for the uh, two semifinal matchups. You've got. North Carolina and Duke, unprecedented first time meeting in the NCAA tournament. Then you've got, I can't believe I'm saying this, the lesser lights, Kansas and Villanova playing in the other semifinal. Yeah, this is the the blue, the true blue Final Four. The only way this could be more of a blue blood Final Four is if you had Kentucky instead of, instead of Villanova. Yeah, or, or throw UCLA in. Oh, very, very true, yeah. So what are your picks? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go Kansas over Villanova. And I'm going to go the, I mean, go ahead and, and cast, you know, McConaughey as Coach K or somebody in the in the story, in the movie that's going to be done on this. But I'm taking Duke over North Carolina and then Duke over Kansas. And that will uh, that will end a, a legendary career, I guess, the only way it could end. You know, of course, now that I said that it's going to be North Carolina versus Villanova. And North Carolina will win. Well, there's a reason that um, CBS has had uh, Jim Nance following Krzyzewski around during the tournament, calling each of his games. It's no secret. So 
Joseph Duarte, this was a lot of fun. We'll have to do it again sometime, maybe in the fall, about UH football. Take some time to recharge your batteries. It's been a long basketball season. And uh, thanks to everyone for listening to this edition of the Texas Sports Nation podcast. You can read more of Joseph's work at HoustonChronicle.com. 